everyone and welcome to another exciting edition of The S Factor with your host Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net. I want to welcome you aboard my starship. We're going to travel across the solar system, heading to interstellar space a little bit, and talk about all things terrestrial and celestial right here on The S Factor. I hope everyone's enjoying their autumn, as the English say. That's a British term. You know, we say fall here in America. There will be no shortage of leaves falling down, and there is no shortage of science news to talk about. Let's get right into it. Elon Musk faces skeptics as Tesla gets ready to unveil Optimus Robot. Following from Yahoo, Tesla chief executive Elon Musk blamed over-reliance on factory robots for sending the electric car maker to production hell four years ago, saying humans are better at certain jobs. My, how times have changed. Musk's Texas company is now floating ambitious plans to deploy thousands of humanoid robots known as TeslaBot or Optimus within its factories, expanding eventually to millions around the world, according to job hostings. Buzz is building within the company as Tesla is having more internal meetings on robots, a person familiar with the matter said. Longer term, Musk said at a TED Talk, Robots could be used in homes, making dinner, mowing the lawn and caring, for, and caring for the elderly people, and even becoming a buddy. The robot business eventually may be worth more than Tesla's car revenue, according to Musk, who is now touting a vision for the future that goes well beyond making self-driving electric vehicles. At its AI day, Tesla will unveil a prototype from its project Optimus in allusion to the powerful and benevolent leader of the Autobots in the Transformer series. Production could start next year, Musk said. Tesla faces skepticism that it can show technological advances that would justify the expense of general-purpose robots in factories, homes, and elsewhere. According to robotics experts, investors, and analysts, Tesla already employs hundreds of robots designed for specific jobs for production of its cars. Humanoid robots have been in development for decades by Honda Motor Company and Hyundai Motor Company's Boston Dynamics Unit. Like self-driving cars, the robots have trouble with unpredictable situations. Now, have you ever witnessed any of these videos from Boston Dynamics? It's quite remarkable. It's extraordinary, actually, how far they've come with robotics. Would you have a robot in your home caring for an elderly person in your life or making you dinner or mowing the grass? Let me know what you think about that. Email me, info at scienceanimated.net. We're going to see some incredible stuff over the next decade, I think. Now, self-driving cars weren't really proved to be as easy as anyone thought, and it's the same way with humanoid robots to some extent. The lead of NASA's dexterous robotics team, Sean Azimi, told Reuters, if something unexpected happens, being flexible and robust to those kinds of changes is very difficult. In 2019, Musk promised 1 million robot taxis by 2020, but has yet to deliver such a car. Musk's robots may be able to demonstrate basic capabilities at the event, but it would be hard for them to impress public expectations of robots that are as capable as humans, experts say. To succeed, Tesla would, will need to show robots doing multiple unscripted actions, said Nancy Cook, a professor in human systems engineering at Arizona State University. Such proof could provide a boost to Tesla's stock, which is down 25% from its 2021 peak. 
If he just gets the robot to walk around or gets the robot to dance, that's already been done. That's not impressive, she said. Tesla did not respond to Reuters' request for comments, but Musk in the past proved skeptics wrong, jump-starting the electric car market and building a rocket company, SpaceX, although some product launches were behind schedule. Initially, Optimus will perform boring or dangerous jobs, including moving parts around its factories, according to Musk. Musk acknowledged that ro humanoid robots do not have enough intelligence to navigate the real world without being explicitly instructed. But he said Tesla can leverage ex expertise in AI and key components to develop and produce smart, yet less expensive, humanoid robots at scale. He tweeted on Monday that its autopilot team is also working on its Optimus robot when asked about fixes of what it calls full self-driving beta, test version of its new automated driving software. Tesla is on a hiring spree for people to work on humanoid bipedal robots, with about 20 job posting on TeslaBot, including jobs for designing key robot parts like actuators. The code you will write will at term run in millions of humanoid robots across the world, and will therefore be held to high-quality standards, one of the job postings said. Tesla has over 2 million vehicles on the road. Now, Jonathan Hurst, chief technology officer at Agility Robotics, a humanoid robot firm founded in 2015, said the technology is right now starting to turn a corner. Certainly, an important measure of success is do they make money from it, referring to Tesla's humanoid robot efforts. Now, analysts see more pageant than product. If it's all part of distracting people and giving them the next shiny object to chase after, investors are not excited about Optimus, said Gene Munster. He says it's just a low probability that it works at scale, he said, saying it is infinitely harder than self-driving cars. And then there is Musk's own experience with bots in the factory. During the 2018 production nightmare, Musk specifically noted that the problems of the fluff bot, an assembly robot that failed to perform simple tasks that humans' hands can do, picking up pieces of fluff and placing them on batteries. He said the cost of having technicians maintain the complicated robot far exceeded that of hiring someone to do the assembly. The fluff robot is a funny example, but drives home the point that autonomy often doesn't ger generalize well, and so handling safe fluffy material that isn't as predictable as a rigid part was causing a huge problem. Human hands are way better at doing that, Musk said. Think about the current economic situation that we're in right now. You know as well as I do, certainly there are help-wanted signs everywhere. So I think that gives these companies even more of a desire to come up with a solution. So their goal is to get as many of these robots out there as quickly as possible, obviously. Now, would you have one of these in your home? I, I think you would have to really put a lot of faith and trust in this thing doing what it's supposed to do and not destroying your house or... I don't know. It, it's going to take... That's I think that's going to be a big hurdle, although people do drive the electric cars and there's a, a certain amount of autonomy that happens there. I think with any autonomous thing, though, you have to... This has to be tested like crazy. So, but it, it does give you a glimpse. If you look at this Optimus robot, it's very sleek looking. Of course, what else would you expect from the Tesla design team? It'll be interesting to follow this story and see how this progresses moving forward. Now, humanity did something really, really awesome this week. I don't know if you heard about it, but pretty cool stuff here. And we need to do this in order to increase the odds of our survival on planet Earth. This according to Live Science, NASA just redirected an asteroid by smashing a spacecraft into it. 
NASA has intentionally slammed a spacecraft into an asteroid in a first-ever test of Earth's planetary defense system. NASA's Double Asteroid Redirection Test, other, otherwise known as DART, spacecraft smashed into the asteroid Dimorphos at 7.14 p.m. on Monday, in humanity's first attempt to alter an asteroid's trajectory. NASA believes the impact will be a vital demonstration of how humans could one day nudge a dangerous asteroid away from a catastrophic collision course with our planet. The 1,210-pound DART craft, a squat cube-shaped probe consisting of sensors and antenna, an ion, an ion thruster, and two 20-foot-long solar arrays, made a direct hit with the 525-feet-wide asteroid Dimorphos while traveling at roughly 13,420 miles an hour and dramatically disintegrated upon impact. Now is when the science starts, now that we've impacted. Now we're going to see how effective we were, Lori Glaze, Planetary Science Division Director at NASA, said in a live webcast of the event. The probe's goal was to slow the orbit of Dimorphos around its larger partner, the 1,280-feet-wide asteroid Didymos. NASA will deem the mission a success if Dimorphos' 12-hour orbit slows by 73 seconds, but the real change could be by as much as 10 minutes. Neither asteroid poses a threat to Earth. Data will pour in for weeks to come and will tell us how successful that mission was, said Nancy Chabot, coordination lead for the DART mission in a live webcast of the event. To arrive at the twin asteroids, DART undertook a 10-month, 7-million-mile journey from its launch pad at Vanberg Space Force Base in California, where it was launched aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. We are just talking about Elon Musk a few minutes ago. So they used SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket to get it up there. Now, DART's final moments were captured by its onboard Didymos Reconnaissance and Asteroid Camera for Optical Navigation, Draco, which automatically steered the spacecraft into a collision course with a distant asteroid. NASA scientists said that Diamorphos wasn't even visible to DART's Draco camera until it was within one hour of impact, after which it became just one pixel in the camera's field of view. Three minutes prior to impact, the asteroid grew just about 42 pixels in size. As the craft approached Diamorphos, the rough terrain and shadowy boulders became bigger and bigger before the image blanked out. The spacecraft's camera then snapped the final images of its target, which can be seen on NASA's YouTube channel, mere moments before DART made contact. Scientists will get a better picture of the impact's immediate aftermath by turning to the Italian space agency's Cube, a smaller CubeSat spacecraft that split from DART on September 11th, orbiting the aftermath of the collision at a distance of 34 miles. Cube will beam photos back to Earth of the trajectory-altering impact and the plume of material thrown out by the crash. And now, telescopes on all seven continents will be trained on the asteroid, measuring brightness of the rock that's thrown off from the collision to determine the extent of orbital changes that occurred. Now, the collision was also monitored by observatories on the ground, as well as by NASA's James Webb Space Telescope and Hubble Space Telescope, and the agency's Lucy spacecraft. Their observations will help scientists looking to understand how much force is needed to successfully divert an asteroid from our planet. Dimorphos is a tiny asteroid, Tom Statler, the mission's program scientist at NASA, said at the September 19th news conference. We've never seen it up close. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what the shape is. And that's just one of the things that leads to the technical challenges of DART. Hitting an asteroid is a rough thing to do. 
So the close-up of the shadowy space rock was a stunning achievement, said NASA Deputy Administrator Pam Melroy. Now this is a stunning achievement. Now there are many things that we cannot control. There are many threats to our survival on planet Earth that we do not control. We could not control necessarily a, a coronal mass ejection that could knock out our electrical grid. That's really tough to, to prevent something like that. We've just been lucky we haven't been in the sun's target for that. You know, gamma ray bursts we have no control over. There are many things that we can't control. You know, something large enough coming into the solar system that would knock us off our orbit. Things like that. But this, you know, something like this, I mean, the dinosaurs were around for millions of years. And an asteroid wiped them out. So it is a threat. Don't forget, we have that asteroid belt. Occasionally things come out of there. And of course, we have our beautiful friend Jupiter that absorbs most of those impacts. But this was a great achievement. And congratulations, my hat is off to NASA and those scientists over there for making that happen. Researchers say it'll be impossible to control a superintelligent AI. This from Science Alert. The idea of artificial intelligence overthrowing humankind has been talked about for decades. And in 2021, scientists discovered their verdict on whether we'd be able to control a high-level supercomputer. The answer? Almost definitely not. The catch is that controlling a superintelligence far beyond human comprehension would require a simulation of that superintelligence, which we can analyze and control. But if we're unable to comprehend it, it's impossible to create a simulation. Rules such as cause no harm to humans can't be set if we don't understand the kind of scenarios that an AI is going to come up with, suggest the authors of the new paper. Once a computer system is working on a level above the scope of our programmers, we can no longer set limits. A superintelligence poses a fundamentally different problem than those typically studied under the banner of robotic ethics, wrote the researchers. This is because a superintelligence is multifaceted and therefore potentially capable of mobilizing a diversity of resources in order to achieve objectives that are potentially incomprehensible to humans, let alone controllable. Part of the team's reasoning came from the halting problem put forward by Alan Turing in 1936. The problem centers on knowing whether or not a computer program will reach a conclusion, an answer, or simply loop forever trying to find one. As Turing proved through some smart math, while we can know for sure some specific programs, it's logically impossible to find a way that will allow us to know that for every potential program that could ever be written. That brings us back to AI, which in a superintelligent state could feasibly hold every possible computer program in its memory at once. Any program written to stop AI from harming humans and destroying the world, for example, may reach a conclusion and halt or not. It's mathematically impossible for us to be absolutely sure either way, which means it's not containable. In effect, this makes the containment algorithm unusable, said computer scientist Elad Rahman from the Max Planck Institute for Human Development in Germany in 2021. The alternative to teaching AI some ethics and telling it not to destroy the world, something which no algorithm can be absolutely certain of doing, the researcher said is to limit the capabilities of a superintelligence. It could be cut from parts of the internet or from certain networks, for example. The study rejected this idea too, suggesting that it would limit the reach of the artificial intelligence. The argument goes that if we are not going to use it to solve problems beyond the scope of humans, then why create it at all? If we're going to push ahead with the artificial intelligence, we might not even know when a superintelligence beyond our control arrives, such as its 
incomprehensibility. That means we need to start asking some serious questions about the directions we're going in. A superintelligent machine that controls the world sounds like science fiction, said computer scientist Manuel Cibrian from the Max Planck Institute for Human Development, also in 2021. But there are already machines that perform certain important tasks independently without programmers fully understanding how they learned it. The question therefore arises whether this could at some point become uncontrollable and dangerous for humanity. Now, Elon Musk has talked about this a lot. At this point, he seems almost passive about it, as if, as if he has accepted the fact that AI will be out of our hands. This is something that really intrigues me. The whole idea of AI, the whole conversation and dialogue that happens amongst researchers when in regards to AI. And entrepreneurs and people like Elon Musk and futurists like Professor Michio Kaku from MIT. You know, these people ponder the idea of artificial intelligence. You know, Elon Musk, I mean, they are working on it day and night, as is Google and many other companies. The famous billionaire Mark Cuban once said, whoever masters artificial intelligence in the world of business, whoever, in other words, whoever creates artificial intelligence, true artificial intelligence that is sentient, that is self-aware, they will become the world's first trillionaire. Now think about that. So in essence, there is a gold rush to reach true AI from these businesses. They work on it day and night, folks. They really do. And one day we will get there. I have no idea when that day will be. But it's already making huge strides in different industries, and it will continue to do so. A lot of what we've seen thus far still requires people to at least be in the driver's seat to some extent with the AI, with the artificial intelligence. I think it will always be intelligent, no pun intended, to have a human around manning whatever machine is being controlled autonomously by AI. There's certain safeguards I think we're going to have to make. I don't think you can have artificial intelligence reach something like nuclear weapons or nuclear power plants. I mean, once artificial intelligence is here, actually before it even gets here, they should, I think we should prep our infrastructure, not just us, but the world, and make sure that AI would be incapable of reaching specific and potentially dangerous avenues and, and systems that it could, that could create problems, I mean, global catastrophes. So I think they should start thinking about that now how to cut off artificial intelligence from even reaching our most critical systems. And really all they would need to do that is make certain systems, take certain systems off the internet. If you do that, there will be no way for it to, to reach them. But then if you have a humanoid robot that has artificial intelligence inside of it, it could manually walk to the location and manipulate things. So it's going to be a whole new world, folks, when this thing comes online, when artificial intelligence is truly here. Who knows if I'll see it in my lifetime. Uh, maybe my son will, but it will be a global concern as far as how to handle it, what to do in the event that it wants to take matters in its own hands. We're talking about an intelligence that could figure something out in ways that we're incapable of. You know, one of the, one of the positives of such a system, like in such a, uh, in such a technology as artificial intelligence is maybe it'll figure out ways to clean up the environment, things that have become messy over the years, like these microplastics that have gotten into the ocean, free energy. Maybe there'll be ways it can figure out how to, how humans could be engaged in space travel and make it less dangerous for us. There are great benefits that can come from that technology, from artificial intelligence, but you have to look at both sides and you have to figure out a way to prevent it from harming us. 
that should be just as important, if not more important, than the gold rush to reach true artificial intelligence and become, you know, extremely wealthy globally. Uh, when you when you ma- when you create such a um, a humanity changing technology, what do you think about all of this AI talk? Do you think it will ultimately benefit humanity as a whole, or will it push us into the abyss? And will we meet our demise via the AI? I want to know what you think about this. Email me, info at scienceanimated.net. That's info at scienceanimated.net. I would love to know what you think about this topic. You can also send me a message on my Facebook page. That's facebook.com scienceanimated. I would be delighted to hear from you in regards to this topic. Now, the following from Scientific American, Why Thinking Hard Wears You Out. A workday filled with a string of mentally demanding tasks can leave you feeling drained. Well, we all know what that feels like. After long hours of mentally tracking one thought to the next, you're probably more likely to choose a relaxing evening of streaming TV shows than to tackle a tough task on your to-do list or to make time on a creative pursuit. A new study provides a biological explanation for this familiar phenomenon. Thinking hard leads to a buildup of chemicals that may disrupt the functioning of the brain. For some time, scientists have struggled to find an explanation for why our mental resources get depleted. Researchers have hypothesized that long periods of strenuous mental effort lead to a depletion of glucose and other key resources that supply the energy-hungry brain. Early experiments in the 2000s supported this notion, reporting that people experienced a reduction in blood glucose after a cognitively demanding task and that consuming a sugar drink could boost performance. But subsequent work failed to reproduce those findings. If you look at all of the studies together, there have been, on average, no effect, says Antonius Wheeler, a cognitive neuroscience at Pitt Hospital in France. Now, in a previous study published in 2016, Wheeler and a colleague and his team demonstrated that long periods of mentally effortful tasks made people more likely to choose immediate gratification over waiting for a bigger reward much later. So that's like $40 now versus $50 in two weeks, for example. This behavioral change was accompanied by a decrease in brain activity in the lateral prefrontal cortex, an area involved in cognitive processes such as decision-making, and the results left the team with a question of what was causing this change in brain activity. I think this is something that we've all experienced to some degree. I know there are days I, I come home from work and, and I do feel mentally spent, some days more than others. But yes, it is very tempting to engage in something that is instant gratification. Now, to probe that question further in a new study published in Current Biology on August 11th, Wheeler and the colleagues recruited 40 volunteers to follow up on their earlier work. Participants had to spend around six and a half hours at the lab, the approximate equivalent of a full workday, performing repetitive but mentally challenging tasks. Among them was the NBAC task, which asked individuals to recall a letter that appeared on a screen. N, number of trials before. The subjects were split into two groups. One was assigned a difficult version of these tasks, while the other was given a simpler version. Although both groups reported feeling similar levels of exhaustion after the day-long experiment, only those who had been given the harder task were more likely to choose to take home an immediate reward rather than wait for a larger cash-out at a later date. So they conducted this experiment where they replicated the average workday. I guess an average workday and its mental toll 
on a person. So to determine what's going on, a team used magnetic resonance spectroscopy, a form of magnetic resonance imaging that enables researchers to detect the levels of certain chemicals in the brain. The investigators found that people who had undertaken the harder task had higher concentrations of the neurotransmitter glutamate in the frontal cortex than those that had performed the easier one. They also found an increased level of glutamate diffusion in a difficult group, indicating that the molecules were moving faster, which according to Wheeler, suggests the chemicals building up outside the cells where its movement was less constrained. A lot of existing work had gone into the assumption that fatigue occurs because you deplete a resource of some kind, said Matthew Apps, a cognitive neuroscience at the University of Birmingham in England, who was not involved in the work. I think it's really exciting that there might be a different model whereby the accumulation of materials in the brain may stop it from functioning properly, and that might actually be what leads to the consequence of fatigue on your behavior. App notes a number of areas where these findings could prove useful. One is in the workplace. For people in jobs that require a sustained intense focus, burnout can lead to detrimental consequences, particularly in the field like surgery. Oh, I don't think anyone would want an overworked, overtired, overly stressed surgeon working on them, that's for sure. Now, in the future, therapeutics aimed at re reversing the buildup of glutamate may help boost those individuals' ability to sustain attention for long periods of time. Another area of interest would be researching clinical conditions in which fatigue is a symptom such as chronic fatigue syndrome. The presence of glutamate as a biological marker might shed light on why patients struggle with exhaustion. And now you know why you may feel mental burnout and not want to do a whole lot when you get home from work. So now when you're done work and you're tired at night and you don't feel like doing anything, if you just sit around and, and watch TV or stream something and you didn't get to you know finish the laundry or cut your grass or whatever you had intended to do, Hopefully those times are rare, but if and when they do happen, you can always blame it on brain chemistry. So this is five scientific explanations for spooky sensations. What feels like a supernatural presence might actually be vibrations outside of humans' conscious perception. What do you think about that? Tis the season to celebrate the supernatural. Whether that means visiting a haunted house or donning a spooky costume. But while some might scare themselves silly in the name of Halloween fun, 42% of Americans believe ghosts are for real, according to a 2013 Harris poll. The belief in ghosts dates back at least to the ancient Mesopotamian times, and it seems to have lodged itself in the collective psyche. But in many cases, science can explain what might seem like a message from beyond. Here are five scientific explanations for encounters with the supernatural. The fear frequency. Just below the average, just below the range of human hearing, infrasound can cause some strange sensations. Humans can't hear below 20 hertz, but some people subconsciously respond to lower frequencies with feelings of fear or dread reports Jennifer Olette for Gizmondo. In one account from 1998, engineer Vic Tandy of Co Coventry University spent a night in a lab believed to be haunted. He and his colleagues experienced anxiety and distress, felt cold shivers down their spines, and Tandy even reported seeing a dark blob out of the corner of his eye. 
it turned out that there was a silent fan creating sound waves at around 19 hertz. The exact frequency that can cause the human eyeball to vibrate and see optical illusions. When we finally switched it off, it was as if a huge weight was lifted, Tandy told Chris Arnort for The Guardian. Think about that. How many times have you just felt like something was watching you? Maybe thought you saw something. That could be the explanation. Unusual magnetic fields. This is a good one. Electromagnetic field, or EMF, meters are commonly used to identify electrical problems. They're also a staple of the ghost hunter's toolbox. Now, neuroscientist Michael Persinger thinks normal variation in electromagnetic fields could be a possible explanation for supposed hauntings. He tested his theory in the 1980s by having people wear helmets that delivered weak magnetic stimulation. 80% of his test subjects said they felt an unexpected presence in the room when they wore the helmets. What's more, famous spooky spots like Hampton Court Palace have been found to have unusual electromagnetic fields. There you go, another explanation, electromagnetic fields. Here's another explanation for the ghostly phenomenon. Carbon monoxide poisoning. On a Halloween episode of This American Life, host Ira Glass and toxologist Albert Donahue unearthed an old ghost story published in the American Journal of Ophthalmology in 1921. As recounted by Miss H, her family moved into an old house and began experiencing what seemed like paranormal activity. The sound of footsteps, strange voices, and even the feeling like they were being held down in their beds by an unseen person. I've heard people say that they have those experiences where they wake up in the middle of the night and they can't move. And they feel like something's, what's more than that is they feel like something is holding them down. Can you imagine such an experience? That'd be terrifying, right? So check this out. Now, you can have that experience like you feel like you're being held down by an unseen person. Meanwhile, the houseplants were dying, and Mrs. H's children felt weak and suffered from headaches. A quick investigation revealed that a faulty furnace was filling the house with carbon monoxide fumes. Carbon monoxide poisoning can cause hallucinations and sickness, explaining all of the symptoms. After the furnace was repaired, the haunting stopped. Think about that, and that is very dangerous, by the way. Anytime you have any kind of combustion, whether it's your car or now specifically inside of a home, you have a water heater. If that's run by, well, any kind of fuel or gas, that byproduct has to leave the house. It has to escape. You have to have ventilation to get it the heck out of there because otherwise carbon monoxide poisoning may kill a person. It's very important to get ventilation, get that stuff out of your house, that exhaust. Interesting, right? Carbon monoxide, did you know about that? And by the way, just to throw this out there because I care about my listeners, make sure you have carbon monoxide detectors in your house. Very important. Now, here's something that I've heard people mention that they experience and they think it's a haunting. Sleep paralysis. The most common explanation for a ghost sighting is sleep paralysis. Sleep specialist Pyril Yadav tells NBC News Diane Mapes, the body is naturally paralyzed during REM sleep, 
but the feeling of paralysis can cause terror if experienced while awake. Sometimes the body and brain get their wires crossed, and a person can experience a few seconds to a couple minutes of waking paralysis, which is often accompanied by hallucinations. <laughs> Imagine that, you can't move, now you're seeing things. Now they say that hallucinations can involve anything from spiders to ghosts and are usually characterized by a feeling of dread. When someone reports a haunting that happened right around bedtime or after waking in the middle of the night, and that they were so scared they couldn't move, it's enough for Yadev to diagnose a case of sleep paralysis. That whole experience sounds frightening. I think it's that's scarier than seeing a ghost. <laughs> you wake up, you can't move. <laughs> Unbelievable. How about this one? The power of suggestion. Social psychology might have an explanation for reported hauntings that the natural sciences can't resolve. Refinery29 reports that one study found the power of suggestion to be strong enough to make people believe they witnessed a supernatural event. Participants watched a video of a purported psychic supposedly bending a key with his mind. The people who were exposed to positive social influence, meaning that an actor in the group said they saw the key bend, were, most, were more likely to report that they saw the key bend too. Participants who were in the room with naysayers and skeptics were more likely to doubt the validity of the trick, but just one person's confident assertion that they believed the psychokinesis was enough to make others believe it as well. Now, we have some very grounded in science explanations for the supernatural. Well, that'll do it for me here today on The S-Factor. I want to thank you very much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to check out any of the past S-Factor shows, be sure to go to scienceanimated.net, my website, where you'll find all the episodes there, or your favorite podcasting service. Just type in, go to the podcasting service, and in the search, type in the S-Factor podcast, and you can find me there. You can review the show. You can give it a like. I'd appreciate that very much. And be sure to check out Science Animated on YouTube. The direct way to get there is youtube.com slash c slash science animated education. That'll take you directly to YouTube channel. Please hit that like button, share the video, subscribe. It means a lot. It helps build the science animated channel. And of course, if you're looking for a Christmas present, check out scienceanimated.net for science animated human body. It's a DVD or a stream, a 40 minute film. It's family friendly, very entertaining. Unlike any other educational animation you've ever seen, I guarantee that or your money back. And also, if you are local, you can pick a copy up of the DVD at Aubrey's Photo Quick on Main Road in Vine or the Quick Loop Station in Vineland. I hope everyone that celebrates it has a very happy and safe Halloween. I'll see you next month with another brand new show. Until then, be safe and stay curious. You have been listening to The S Factor, where it's all about science, with your host, Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net. Take care, everybody. Yeah.